0: Uh, If you've got a Bible with you, if you want to turn with me to the book of Exodus, and we're going to be in Exodus chapter 13, to start with, beginning at verse 17, and we're going to go into 14 as well. So I'll give you a chance to find that. And this is what it says. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was the shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph, with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He, he had said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of clouds to guide them on their way. And by night in a pillar of fire, to give them light so that they could travel by day and by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Herath between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's hearts and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pehirath, opposite Baal-Zethon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and they cried out to the Lord, Then they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out into the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. Today, the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the waters so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go after them and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, and it turned into dry land. The waters were divided, and Israel went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and clouds at the Egyptians' army and threw them into confusion. He jammed the wheels of the chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let us go away, get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Oh, I don't know about you, that was a marathon this morning. Oh, there we go. I'm going to invite Zoe up. She, she lengthened that this morning. When I got into church, she said, oh, can you read out the chapter, chapter previous as well? But we're looking forward, Zoe, to what you have to share this morning. Let me pray for you as you come up. Father God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for what we see in it. We thank you for how you speak to us through it. We thank you for Zoe and all of her preparations today. And we ask your blessing upon her as she speaks to us. Give us ears to hear, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Yeah, I just thought we'd read the whole of the narrative to gain the whole of the story this morning as we look at it together. But as we start, let me ask you a question. I wanna engage your brains as we've just heard the whole story spoken to us. If I was to ask you a creative question, if I was to set this as a task, I wonder what you would include. If you were a movie editor or an author or someone who liked to write a gripping story, and I asked you to write a story around the theme of the great escape, What would you include? This takes me back to English GCSE, where you were told to build tension as you wrote a story. How would you write a story entitled The Great Escape? I wonder if you would include a dramatic chase, where suddenly a group of people are fleeing and they're enjoying their freedom momentarily. And suddenly at the last minute, maybe the enemy or the emperor decides to go after them. They change their mind and they go on the run. Maybe one character in your story decides at the last minute that they want to turn back, find something precious to them, a family heirloom, and then move forward. Perhaps you might up the ante by choosing a navigational decision, which way to go. The audience might know something that the other characters might not. Suspense might be built. If they go this way, they'll be in heavy pursuit. But if they go this way, there might be another obstacle. Or maybe you'll keep the story very simple and there's only one big problem that they will face. An obstacle that they can't go around and they can't do anything about And probably in everybody's story, there will be one scene where the characters are in emotional despair. And often in this story, there's only one winner. And Exodus today provides us with everything. One of the most impressive biblical journeys that we can explore together. Exodus itself is translated as departure or the way out. God himself makes a way out for his people. The Israelites are no longer slaves in Egypt and they embark on the great escape, the journey to the promised land. And today as we look at this biblical thrilling narrative together, through this frame of the sermon series we're studying, asking about the journey that they are going on. As we're thinking about our journey individually with God, where are we with him? Or as a church, where is God taking us next? Then we will see as we study this passage together that this scripture has every linguistic and dramatic tool you can imagine we have an oppressed nation who are finally set free after a conquest between Pharaoh, Moses, and the Israelite God. After the sending of the plagues, we have a nation who are freed, who move forward by looking backwards, and who are led down a questionable route. And then we see God do the miraculous as he makes a way for them. And as we study this journey and this passage together this morning, we're going to look at three things to see the great escape come to life. First, we're going to ask, who are these Israelite people? How did they end up in Egypt? And what is the significance in this story for us today? We're going to examine the miracle itself, the parting of the Red Sea. I want us to be encouraged that the same spirit of God who was at work in parting the Red Sea empowers us today, his church. We're going to close the gap between a story in the Old Testament and who we are as the people of God today. And then we're going to ask, what did God ask of the Israelites in the face of this battle? But last week, as Luke started this sermon series. He pointed us to Abraham and the covenant promises that God made with him. How Abraham was blessed to be a blessing and how a great land and an offspring would come from his name. And here we are today with the Israelites escaping Egypt. The journey in between was Abraham's second grandson, Jacob, led his rather large family to Egypt. And Jacob's 11th son, Joseph, was elevated to second in command. After Joseph himself had quite a dramatic journey, enslaved but knowing God's blessing and his favor, he ended up predicting and prophesying this famine over this nation. And uh, Joseph saved his family and the nation from this great famine. And we read about how Joseph was reconciled to his family and then was offered Egypt as a place to live, a safe haven for his family. 400 years later, we have the book of Exodus. And then as we've read, the Exodus out of Egypt. And in that time, you can hear the echoes of Genesis ringing. The Israelites were fruitful and they multiplied and they filled the land. But the land that they were living in wasn't theirs. And Pharaoh didn't view their company as a blessing. So he enslaved them and he brutally enslaved them. And he drowned all the Israelite boys in the River Nile. So far in the biblical narrative that we're in, this is possibly the worst kingdom that we've seen yet. So the Israelites cry out to their God, and God turns evil on its head. Through a a baby Moses, cared for in the palace of all places, defied death, and then encountered God through a burning bush. God sends his judgment through the plagues, at first giving Pharaoh the opportunity to humble himself and let the people go. But God hardens his heart and almost bends evil for his own redemptive purposes. But this time, unlike Pharaoh, who sees the enforcement of the drowning of the Israelite boys in the River Nile, God provides an escape. The first escape is through the Passover meal, the covering of the blood on the door frames of the people's houses. A foreshadowing for us knowing the full story, the full journey that this scripture is taking us on to Jesus himself, his blood covering, giving us a free pass. But what I want us to see today in this dramatic journey, this narrative this story in this incredible theatrical divine warrior journey is that this is part of a wider story that god is orchestrating he delivers the israelite nation from egypt not because they deserve it their character if you like is revealed in our passage today and it's revealed later on as you keep going through exodus They're a terrified, fearful nation. And that's revealed, isn't it? Their heart says, I wanna be enslaved again when danger comes their way. They cry out, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out of the desert to die? They ask the God of the plagues, the one who sets them free, what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say, leave us alone and let us serve the Egyptians? And then they grumble and they mumble and they forget and they harden their hearts as the story goes on before God as well. And it's almost as if the narrator that is taking us on this dramatic journey is asking us, is Israel's heart before God just as hard as Pharaoh's? And that's a sobering thought for us because we know the destruction that Pharaoh causes. And as we read this journey, as we examine this journey, as we ask what it means for ourselves as well, we are are left asking that question. What is the condition of my heart like before God? But this freedom, this journey, this great escape, this dramatic story was not because of Israel's merit. They didn't deserve it, yet God is a faithful, covenant-keeping, miracle-working God who promised this great land and this great nation to Israel through Abraham. And here we see him keeping his promises. In Exodus chapter 13, we read about the certainty of this promise. Verse five says, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey. The promise is when, not if, God fulfills his promises. God of Abraham, who promised a great blessing and a great nation to come from his name. Here we see the story unraveling and God keeping his promises despite the faithlessness of Israel. The journey that they are on is part of a wider plan that reveals more about the covenant faithful promise keeping God than it does about the Israelites. So I wonder as we're thinking about the journey that God might be taking us on or the journey that God is taking us on collectively as a church, that our plans should reveal more about who God is than they do about us. Would we not revert back to something of old, whether it enslaved us or not? And would we not be led forward out of fear or out of terror? Perhaps we are being encouraged today in our conversations to think bigger, to think wider. What is God's mission? What is his wider plan? And what I want us to do together today is interweave the two stories together. What does this dramatic story from the Old Testament about the Israelite nation have to do with us today? And to do that, to combine the two questions together, then we have to do what is known as biblical theology, where we track a concept from the Old Testament into the New Testament and see this wider, bigger story unravel. And to do that, we're just going to zone in on the miracle itself that happens in today's story. If you're following along, then I'm just going to zone in on, on verse 21 as we read those events again. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. We learn that it was a strong east wind that turned the sea into dry land. And the Hebrew root for the word wind is ruach. Now, I know I'm not pronouncing that right. I'm not a biblical scholar at all. But if you understand what that word means, then we're able to trace this through the biblical story to get to where we are today because Ruach is translated as wind or breath or spirit. God's spirit, whether that's wind or breath, can be traced throughout scripture, right from the beginning. In Genesis chapter one, verse two, we know that the earth was a formless void and darkness covered over the face of the deep, while the Ruach, the spirit of God, hovered over the waters. So we see the Spirit of God right there in the beginning. And then if we trace the story through a bit more, we get to Genesis chapter two, where God creates humanity. The Lord God formed the man out of dust from the ground and breathed in his nostrils, the breath, the ruach of life. And the man became a living creature. We see the Spirit at the beginning hovering over the waters, creating. What does the spirit do? It creates. Then we see the spirit of God breathed into us to give us our very breath. And then multiple times through the Old Testament, we see the wind, the spirit, and the breath of God at work. One of them quite famously is in the prophecy of Ezekiel in chapter 37, where God promises to put his ruach, his spirit within us. And you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. I will give them one heart and a new ruach, a new spirit within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. What excites me this morning as we track through this journey that the Israelites are on because God made a covenant with Abraham to be faithful to his promises is we see the Spirit of God at work. We see the Spirit of God at the beginning hovering over the waters before creation. We see the Spirit of God being breathed into humanity. We see The Spirit of God being the active agent, the winds that parted the Red Sea in the miracle in this story. We see the same Spirit being prophesied and promised to us to give us a new heart. And as we trace this theme right through Scripture, we read in Acts chapter 2 about the events of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers, the group of believers that empowered. church and grew the church. Acts chapter 2 says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind, do you see it? In our story today and here, came from heaven and filled the whole house that they were sitting in. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit empowered them. What does God's Spirit do? It was there in the beginning, hovering over creation. It was breathed into humanity. It was the agent in our story today that produced this miracle, this parting of the Red Sea. It was promised and prophesied to give us a new heart, And then the Holy Spirit was a gift given to the church, to grow the church, to empower the church. And this should really encourage us if I've communicated this effectively this morning, because this story for us then is not something of old that happened and seems rather dramatic, but it's the same spirit that was alive there is empowered and breathed upon us for us as God's church to be alive and active. For the same redemptive purpose, we are blessed to be a blessing. The church now, God's chosen agent, to live an inspired, spirit-filled, creative, distinctively different life, just like Israel, to point others to get to know God. We live today with this commission to go to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey Jesus's commands, filled with the same Spirit that he sends us out with. I want us to be excited today that this journey that we are going on is accompanied and filled and powered by the same Holy Spirit who in this story today divides the Red Sea, to give the Israelites a safe path to walk through. This matters and who we are matters. Our ancestry matters. As we go forward, we need to take something of who we are with us. And that's what we see, isn't it? Moses led the people forward by taking their heritage with us. Moses led the people by looking backwards first and then proceeding forwards. We saw him take the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made it really clear to the Israelites. He said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. This morning, let's be reminded of who we are and encouraged that we are a community empowered by God's Holy Spirit. The miracle-working, promise-keeping, covenant, faithful God fills us with his Holy Spirit to then journey with him wherever he is taking us. And the dramatic climax of this story was the very fact that Pharaoh changed his mind about releasing the Israelites, and he goes after them for the final throwdown. And in the midst of all of this, we have the people of God who are terrified. They are in a precarious location, and they cry out to God. And God simply asks them to be still. Be still despite all that was going on around them, all the complexities. And there are numerous complexities in this passage. We started in chapter 13 to see that at first God didn't send them through the shortest route. For God himself said, you might follow in the end of chapter 13, if they face war, he's talking about his people, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert towards the Red Sea. But ironically, this longer path on their great escape actually leads them to danger as well. And this time they're being pursued by a minimum of the 600 best chariots of the Egyptian army. But God tells them to turn back, encamp by the sea so that Pharaoh will think that the Israelites are wandering around in the desert, hemmed in and confused. So the Israelites are marched towards the sea, leaving them no escape route. And then we see this miracle, don't we, that we've just analysed. One final battle between Pharaoh and God. And the Spirit of God, the active agent, divides the Red Sea. And it's almost as if this, this miracle reverses creation again. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 9, we see how the seas came together and separated themselves from dry land. But here the sea is split open to reveal the dry land underneath. In Genesis, the parting of the seas, the separation of the dry land and the sea was brought about by God to bring life. Life and variety, the different creatures that lived in the land and in the sea. But the reversal of this creation moment, for a moment, revealed the opposite and the death of the Egyptian army. This time bringing death, not life. And I don't know how this sits with you. Here we are faced with the tension that our God is not as tame as we would like him to be. He is presented in this story as the divine warrior. And this presents us with a challenge of violence. How do we square this with the loving covenant keeping faithful God that we are talking about? We are presented with this truth in this passage that God is fighting for Israel And this becomes apparent to the Egyptian army, almost like a penny drop moment, just before the waters come back and engulf them. Exodus 14, verse 25, tells us about that moment of revelation. Let's get away from the Israelites, exclaimed the Egyptians. Why? Because the Lord is fighting for them. And in this moment of terror, the Israelites crying out what does God ask them to do verse 14 says the Lord will fight for you you only need to be still Moses answered the people in their moment of distress crying out to God saying they'd rather be back in Egypt as slaves again because surely they'd be alive and Moses says do not be afraid Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. The Lord is fighting for you. Do you realize who he is? He is the creator of the universe, the covenant keeping God, the divine warrior. He is the one who is fighting. So why do we fret? Why do we strife? Why do we fear? The role that the Israelites had to play in this battle was they had to be still. When trouble approached them, when fear engulfed them, when they were plagued with doubt, when the enemy was near, the Lord asked them to be still. His presence was with them. His spirit was at work. And we're told of the angel of the Lord who had been traveling in front of them, withdrawing and traveling behind them to keep the two camps separate so that no harm would come their way. And after this miracle moment, what do the Israelites do? We read in chapter 15 that they respond in praise to their God. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has held into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic holiness, awesome in glory. The wonder working God. The Israelites respond in praise for this miracle that they have seen in front of them. So I wonder today whether God is speaking to us through this passage. And as we set off talking about vision, I wonder if he is asking us to consider the journey that we are being taken on. For us to think wider, to think bigger, to look back and remember who we are and then to connect this with the wider, redemptive story that he is still writing. I wonder if God is asking us to realize again that it's the same Holy Spirit that was there in the beginning, that is breathed into us, that parted the Red Sea, that prophesied and promised us a new spirit that was given to his church to create, to recreate, to empower, to help us, to be our advocate. And I wonder in it all if he is reminding us that the battle is his. The task is his. The journey we might go on is not the shortest. It might take unexpected twists and turns. And at times it won't make sense and we have big questions. But in all of it, is the Lord asking us to be still? Is he reminding us that he is the one that is fighting for us? Does he want to breathe on us again his spirit? I wonder today. Let's pray together. Father God, just like the Israelites, we want to respond in song. We want to respond declaring that you are an awesome God. We want to thank you that you are the covenant-keeping, miracle-working, way-making God. Father, we thank you that you are the God of the Exodus, that you made a way for us, that we are no longer slaves to our own sin because of your son, Jesus. We declare this morning that you are the God who fights for us, that you are the Lord of every victory, and I pray that we would respond by singing hallelujah. Lord, we say this morning that your word, your story is still ongoing. We recognize the promises that have been made to our ancestors of old, ancestors of old. And we pray this morning that you would come and empower your church to keep going. The same spirit that was there at the beginning, Father, we pray that you would breathe your life upon your church again so that our journey moving forward would be with you. Father, we pray we are fighting in our own strength this morning. That you would still us by your presence and by your spirit. And that we would submit our lives again to you this morning, your will and your ways, as we walk in step with you. In Jesus' name.